Good afternoon. You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, being recorded in the vibrant community of Jackson Heights, Queens. So I'm recording this on Friday, October 28th, and you will be listening to this on Sunday, October 30th, over Halloween weekend. And I am currently on the street with my friend and former guest of the show, Matthew. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm excited to hand out some candy and do some support. We are here at the Jackson Heights branch of the Queens Public Library. There's a drag queen story hour going on right now. And unfortunately, there's people protesting. Me, Matthew, and our other friend, Hallie, we're all here just to show some support that, you know, this is a good event. We're happy it's happening. And we want to be positive faces for the kids and the other supporters to see when they come in and out. So um, as we turn the corner to approach the library, I realized that we were approaching like the wrong side of the street. Like I could see where the library was, but there were people uh, further down the sidewalk on the opposite side of the library who, you know, I could tell from just the signs and imagery, the imagery that they had like on their jackets and everything that, okay, these are people that are obviously hostile to the Drag Queen Story Hour. So there's someone here with a sign that's saying, leave our kids alone, Antifa, screaming. There's police here. So basically the idea is like, we're forming a barrier between the library people coming out of the library and the antis across the street but also on the same sidewalk as the library um, and we arrived the event itself i believe started at about 3 30 the rally that began at three o'clock to defend the drag story hour um, was set up by new york city council member shaker krishnan uh, we did not get to see him. Uh, we did arrive like while the story hour was ongoing. Um, what we were told is that he and other politicians and people who had spoken at the rally were already inside. So they were mostly indoors. Uh, we were just outside observing um, what was happening in the middle. So on the side where we were defending the Drag Story Hour, it was a pretty mixed uh, group of people as far as age, gender, um, whether or not they also had children. Um, there were some people who were being very proactive with like using umbrellas and things like that to try to obscure uh, the view of the people who were protesting. Um, and when the drag performer who had done the story hour came out, they were very proactive with making sure to block um, the view of the drag performer as she was leaving so that the protesters wouldn't get, you know, be able to get close or even to get like close pictures of her, which I thought was a great idea. And, you know, we did get to make some new connections. We met some people who just happened to be in the neighborhood, just so happened to live in the neighborhood, knew about the event and wanted to come out and show some support. And um, one person was willing to speak to us for the radio. 
Um, and if you don't mind introducing yourself. Not at all. Hi there. I'm Dr. Yari Felber-Seligman. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm a Jackson Heights resident, an out-trans person, City College faculty at CUNY, and I hope in the coming years an adoptive parent of an LGBTQ-identifying youth. So how did you find out about the Drag Queen Story Hour happening, and what made you decide to get involved? Um, I ran into some of the drag queens themselves at a pride parade. I've been going to the Jackson Heights pride parade since I moved here in, I think, 2017. And except for the COVID one that got canceled, been there every time. Huge supporter of books and literature to help increase tolerance and love. Okay, well, it was great meeting you. Thanks for speaking to us. Thanks for covering this. Yeah, of course. And would you say it was a success? Absolutely. It was really great to see so many diverse folks in our community turn out, spread a message of support and love, and really glad we were all together here. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. And it was good to hear, like, everyone cheering uh, when the drag performer left. Uh, there were a number of very small children, very cute. Some of them dressed up in their Halloween best, others not so much. But um, they were very happy. Like you could tell that they had a good time inside. They had like their little coloring activity things that they brought out with them. Since you and I were both there, Matthew, what were your impressions of how it went? Uh, I think overall the counter protest um, to the horrible people across the street um, really kind of understood the situation. They understood the context that there were children present and our main concern was to kind of protect them, insulate them from what was being shouted um, by the uh, homophobic people, like transphobic people across the street. Uh, I think there was really good energy um, and it was pretty calm on the side we were on. Um, able to hand out some candy. The kids were very excited uh, once they saw some adults who were like kind of excited to see them. Um, we're kind of engaging with like them doing trick-or-treat during Halloween versus being yelled at by adults uh and they have no idea why. Um, so I think I'm really happy we showed up. Uh, and I think, as you said, I wish more people had dressed up and kind of got with the occasion. But I think people are starting to learn how to be a bit more direct, how to show up to these events, um, and really what to come with. Uh, I learned some things yesterday showing up. There were some queer adults there, um, and I asked them if they were organized, but they're like, nope, we just have personal investment, um, but showing up with umbrellas, very much like um, the people at Planned Parenthood who do a lot of uh, the client-facing services of protecting them from um, the people who are yelling at them. Uh, so I think it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it, um, and it was great seeing some community support that was just happened to be around and wanted to kind of uh, do some good in the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think overall that it was a success. Us being there was a success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was really, 
I'm not gonna lie, like it it was it did kind of shake me. Like even though, you know, you know about these things no matter what seeing it written about or mm-hmm. seeing clips is different from physically being present when it's happening. Mm-hmm. With these like the right wing sort of side, like it's hard to pin down how or where they're organizing. I follow a few people on social media who kind of specialize in tracking the right wing connections, what they're doing, but like they are spread far and wide. Telegram, they're on Twitter, they're on Parler, they're like on the right wing sites. And it's hard to like find what the actual kind of accurate information is coming out or and they're very organized. And that's a little bit of the scary part. Um, And one of the protesters we saw yesterday, they had like um, a Zeldin for governor uh, sign. And my question immediately was like, are they paid to be here? Like, is this a part of the campaign? Because the person wasn't like really engaging, but they had the sign, like they were taking some photos. So it's very odd. And they had similar signs, a few of them, like printed in the same way, um, with the same writing and the same language. And it was very strange. Um, mm-hmm. So it feels more organized. Whereas like on the counter protest side where we were on, everyone, it was like hand-drawn signs. Um, and I don't like want to engage a, that it's a conspiracy, but like it's odd that those protesters would have similar font printed signs ready to go. Um, so it's it's very strange, like, and it's hard to find out. So hopefully, this is also kind of causing a little bit of waking up for people um, because the library staff yesterday were pretty responsive to the crowd, um, and they were like around, they were by the doors, they were monitoring, um, and that was really good. I really do think it's interesting, not not interesting, like I really think it's um, important, like because none of us speaking, like we don't have children. And while we were there, you know, you and I, Matthew, just started talking to other people that were around. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple too, like near us that just happened to live in the area, like they weren't mm-hmm. connected to any type of group. They just were aware that something was happening and they wanted to show up and show support. And you and I showed up because Anika mentioned that something was happening. I was like, you know what, then I'm going to go to the next one because I couldn't go to the last one. So me, you and our other friend Hallie also showed up. So that's like five, six people. And, you know, I'm sure there were other people like that, like the adults you spoke to, they just know that it's important to show up to stuff like that. And I do think it made a big difference that we could at least be kind of like a safe corridor because it was really, I mean, you'll, you hear it in the audio that you'll, that is earlier on in this segment, but the chants and things that the protesters were screaming were just so disgusting. Mm -hmm. So blatantly, like they were the ones that were sexualizing a completely non-sexual event, like making obscene comments about genitals showing your balls lifting your skirt and things like that and there were there was one child that came out of the library little a little kid and they had their hands over their ears and their head down because they were scared you know so at least you know the people that were the closest to the door that they could actually see were friendly people and were giving them space or in our case trying to give them some candy but there were a lot of like 
chant like groomer chants Pete, there was someone writing down offensive like really fucked up messages and chalk in front of the library you know it was just not us i didn't personally think i was gonna get hurt in the moment but it was definitely not a safe group of people yeah one of the protesters just had a fuck you sign it wasn't pointed at, it was just like an obscene thing to have um, at an event with young children who they're claiming to want to protect. And it's just, their the cognitive dissonance is out, like, just ridiculous at this point. Um, right. And I really was hoping that maybe there was some organized element to the counter-protest, but it really did feel like it was just kind of community caring coming together, which was really great to see. But also, like, we do need to start organizing, um, maybe in a little more proactive manner. Um because I was even curious, there was a, the group of people who, and I asked them because they had the umbrellas and it was like, it was well done. It was three of them working together. They had music. Um, and I asked them and they're like, no, we're just here. And I was like, okay. So like, if there is some way to organize that, that would be really, I think, beneficial to a lot of uh, events like this. Yeah, for sure. And like, we do have a vested interest, all of us as a community mm-hmm. in the way we treat children, like what happens in these spaces that are meant to be for kids. Because I do think that there's this mentality that some people have of like owning their children and they want to be, mm. they want to have complete control over trying to shape the child's worldview. And even if you don't have kids, it makes a difference if the children of today are being raised to be intolerant, to be openly hateful and aggressive towards anyone that is different. And they have adults around them encouraging that type of behavior. That makes the world a worse place for all of us. Like it's not something where you can take a back seat because maybe you yourself don't have kids. And on the other side, it's plenty of people these days, like right wing nuts that will show up. They don't even live in the area. They don't have mm-hmm. kids in the district, but they're showing up to create this illusion that there's this mass of people that are angry about, you know, children reading books that are accurate in its depiction of slavery or that are um, affirming of like queer identities. So please, like, if you're listening, well, obviously you're listening, but if this is something that is important to you, please consider showing up and being a support for your local schools, your local library branches, like, that are doing things that you like, because the voices that are negative can be so loud and so aggressive, and we lose a lot of ground by people just not showing up or not thinking it's important. And uh, yeah, like yesterday, I think one of the best moments were when the the performers who were doing the actual story hour left. Um, the representatives had gotten them cars, but uh, and then there was like a barricade of counter protests blocking them. Um, and then everyone's like applauding for them because that is still very brave to be able to know that there are very dangerous, evil people who do want to hurt you and still be able to carry on with it and get the job done show up and provide what you said you were going to do. Like, I, I think it's very brave for these people to still do this story hour because these people are very scary and we are seeing an increase in the level of violence that they will bring against us. Um, and I think it's very necessary to explicitly say these are not sexualized events. 
These are performers engaging in an art form who are just wanting to bring some joy to families and kids. Um, and it's a, it's a fun event. Um, so definitely show up if you can. Um, it's worth, it's worth supporting, um, these communities, especially in these hard times. Yeah. And, um, if you're interested in learning more, you can also sign up for their newsletter. The website for the events, it's dshnyc.org. So that's for drag story hour and NYC dshnyc.org so you can learn more about the events you can sign up um, for updates if you're interested in have like having an event at your local community area you can do it um so yeah of course shout out to the performers for showing up um to the people who organized the event to the parents who brought their children um, who were very happy, you know, they came out with their coloring yep. things, you yeah. know, like they had a good time, you know, that's what these things are about. It's about providing a safe, happy, positive space for children. You know, there was yeah. only one side out there making any types of comments, sexual or anything, and it was the right wing nut jobs, not anyone that was supporting the event. Yeah, yeah. And, this, and the library staff were fantastic for, again, standing up and still making sure this event went through. Um, and I hope it was successful. Everyone seemed very excited after they were coming out. So it was a glad we showed up. Yeah. I'm glad we showed up. Even I'm, I can't believe I bullied you into wearing a, a, a costume and then we yeah. showed up and all the other adults were like adults, not dressed up. It was worth it. The cape was worth it. I think it was a hit. The kids enjoyed it too. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a visual representation of like, oh, fun. This person yep. will have candy. Yep, and it was something. a good time. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, on that note, we're going to go to our first musical break. Um, and in the spirit of spooky season, this is Santana, Black Magic Woman. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. Stop messing around with your tricks 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our national news Halloween-themed story, uh, this information comes from Vox.com. The title of the article is Rainbow Fentanyl Candy is Just the Latest Halloween Panic. No one is purposely trying to give kids drug candies. And this was written by Alex Abad Santos for Vox News. Of the many urban legends associated with Halloween, none may be as persistent or as terrifying to adults as someone killing children via candy. The guiding logic seems to be that there's nothing in this world that children love more than sweets and nothing murderers love more than murder. So year after year, stories pop up about Halloween candy filled with razor blades, cyanide, pins, and even drugs. The 2022 version of this phenomenon is quote-unquote rainbow fentanyl. Fentanyl is a drug intended to treat severe pain, but when abused, its potency can cause near death. Its potency can cause death. In August, the DEA, or the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency, described this whimsical-sounding multicolored version of the synthetic opioid as a, quote, deliberate effort by drug traffickers to drive addiction amongst kids and young adults. States like Florida and West Virginia have already issued warnings to parents about the danger that colorful fentanyl, sometimes in candies like Skittles, poses to children. Senate Republicans have even put out a PSA warning about the danger. There are also a few media outlets relentlessly following the story. The thing about urban legends, though, is that they're based on our fears, not on truth. As my former colleague Herman Lopez pointed out in 2018, stories about adults killing children through lace candy go back to the 1950s, but there's never been any evidence or data suggesting that this is a real problem. Lopez wrote, the closest thing to a case like the one so many parents worry about comes from 1974. Back then, an eight-year-old died after eating pixie sticks laced with cyanide. But the culprit wasn't a stranger handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. It was the child's father who apparently did it to get life insurance money. Joel Best, the nation's leading expert on Halloween candy, oh, that sounds like a fun job, uh, told Vox at the time that the idea of a trick-or-treater being killed or seriously injured by candy was unlikely and that fears were overblown. In 2018, Best chalked those fears up to our relative safety and the desire to hold on to it, saying, we live in a world of apocalyptic scenarios. Here we are. We have safer, healthier, longer lives than people in any other point in history. And we are constantly imagining that this could all fall apart in a nanosecond. I think that what happens is we translate a lot of our anxiety into fears about our children. In 2022, things feel perhaps even more precarious than in 2018. Granted, the U.S. is in the midst of an opioid addiction epidemic, 
and the rise of fentanyl being added to other drugs, including cocaine, has caused a rash of overdoses. Over the last few years, however, there has been a boom in misinformation and fentanyl in particular, experts say, mainly in many misleading stories and headlines about police and fentanyl skin exposure. It might make sense then that these fears about Halloween candy are being expressed loudly and by more prominent figures like politicians and certain media personalities. That doesn't make them more real. There are also logical fallacies at work. The idea of drug dealers targeting children with deadly doses of rainbow fentanyl doesn't make a whole lot of sense. First of all, children don't have money and money is an important aspect of a drug deal. You can't deny that they're very broke children. And secondly, drug dealers would like to keep their client base alive since that's their source of income. Killing people, children included, is bad for business. It's illogical, Ryan Marino, a toxicologist and addiction specialist at Case Western Reserve University Medical School, told the Washington Post. For all intents and purposes, the rainbow fentanyl story is nothing more than a moral panic. There are things to worry about this Halloween, like how pedestrian fatalities are much higher on the holiday, but rainbow fentanyl for kids probably isn't one of them. So yeah, I didn't even, I shouldn't be surprised that this is a thing people are panicking over, but... I mean, talk about a scary story. The propaganda is out of control these days. Um, I actually remember when I would go trick-or-treating back in the day um there were these stories i remember these stories of like you have to check your candy for razor blades you have to check your candy for drugs and i was always just like confused but i was like yes it was a very small town in the country and like huge cop influence uh and like it's just playing out this way today like the cops who are faking these fentanyl overdoses by quote-unquote touching it and laced cash it is just absolutely absurd. That is not science. They're fucking lying, and they're doing it on purpose to drive up fear, um, and it's pathetic. Like, the main point that was stated in that article, drug dealers are here to make money. No one is just handing out some fentanyl because there's no money in that. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's not how crime works, <laughs> especially not crime and drugs. Um it's like it's a boogeyman story like it, there's no grounds of fact or reality in it um fentanyl is a problem opioids are clearly a problem but that's big pharma that's our pharmaceutical companies over drugging us and getting people addicted yeah i mean and, and like so many things particularly coming from like right-wing uh, republican fascist um, type sources. So many of these things um, that the article aptly called a moral panic, it's pure projection. Yes. And the other thing is um, this con- this idea of like, rather than actually attacking the problem of opioids within like pharmaceutical companies, price gouging, things like that, this is a much easier sell to them and their constituents of like, ooh, look at the bad illegal immigrants bringing in the rainbow fentanyl, where actually it's like, well, actually, it's doctors over-prescribing opioids and painkillers because a lot of these senators, a lot of these congresspeople have, and this is across the board, both sides, all sides, they are deeply invested in the money-making because they have stock in these companies. So if they say, hey, 
it's the illegals coming across the border with rainbow fentanyl, then they can tell their constituents, actually, there's not much we can do because the border's open, rather than say, oh, actually, let's look at what's happening within the pharmaceutical companies and see if maybe that's a big problem with this. Uh, and they just, re- like, it, it's there. It's plain as day. They don't make money um, if they shut down the companies. So it's vile. <laughs> and this is the state of things right now. And this yeah. is, a, like, I don't know what we do about this. Rather than, like, try to spread accurate information um, and try to combat misinformation, but it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that one of the big problems is like media literacy is not at a very high level in this country, you know, so I think a lot of people need practice on not seeing a headline and getting carried away with that alone, but really stopping to think about it. Because even in the article, like just bringing up simple common sense things like, what would be the reasoning behind doing that? Like, what would be the motivation for someone who is dependent on selling a drug for a long period of time, they want to make money. Like what would be the reason for them to be giving it away for free to people who cannot buy anything would probably (laughs) die immediately. Like why would that happen? Like you would kill your, your uh, whole clientele on the first dose. Like, no, that's not it. That doesn't make sense. You know, it's like there is is like nefarious, you know, forces at work like that are making money like you're talking about. But, you know, it's all about deflecting away from the real problem by erecting a boogeyman. That's a fake problem. And then you generate all the rage towards that. Oh, and there was a study of a scientist who works with like fentanyl. Um, I don't remember in what capacity, but the story was like he was doing an experiment, some testing. It, a lot of it fell on his hand uh, and he documented it, published a study. It was like, nothing happened to me. Like the way fentanyl enters the body is not through touch like that. And like he had evidence, photos with scientists, understood what he was doing, um, stated it with like objective fact and stuff. And it was like, people touching this does not cause them to overdose. Um, and we've just really as much as there's lack of media literacy, there's lack of science literacy and like good sound science That's because public true. education is falling. Um, people in Congress are trying to break down the public education system as it's already kind of crumbling. So a lot of these things are all intertwined and it's very scary. Yeah, like that's that's so true. And, uh, you know, it's a story that is related to children and the fact that our public educational system is in, has been in crisis for so long and it doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. People being ignorant and children growing up to be ignorant, it makes them very easy to control and very easy to manipulate because you have people like running around in circles, you know, in a frenzy over imaginary problems when the real problem is right in front of their face. But if you don't know how to you know, use critical thinking because you haven't been taught. Like, it's something you have to learn. Yep. Like, someone mm-hmm. has to teach you those things. It's not just mm-hmm. common sense. Like, you know, we say common sense, but, you know, it is a skill. It's a thing that you have to learn how to do and you have to practice it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that we do have so many people who don't are ignorant when it comes to reproductive issues, for example, like we were, a friend of mine and I were talking about how 
so many people are ignorant about things like how like how a doctor counts the weeks of a pregnancy. So if you don't know that a person is considered pregnant from the date the first day of their last period, things like, oh, six weeks isn't that's enough time to know whether or not you want to have a kid. You know, you might not you don't understand that like by the time someone is quote unquote six weeks along, they might only really be like two weeks along. They might not have even missed a period yet, Mm -hmm. but those things are not, people are not educated to be aware of like how that whole process goes. So they're a lot more easily um, fear mongered into like positions that are to their detriment or that are harmful to other people because they're ignorant. This was that quiz um, that you had posted. Cause I, this is one of the questions on when they was talking about, reproductive health and it was like a little popular quiz going around and that was one of the things i had no idea um being a cis man uh and i mean i i have a mom i have sisters i have a lot of women in my life um and a lot of people with vaginas and uteruses and i did not know that fact like there are just things that are just not taught um i come from the southwest where sex education is kind of an oxymoron to be honest there's not much educating happening i think i learned what uh cis male puberty was in sex ed um but we were separated from the girls uh and we had no idea what happens to the girls so there is and something we were talking about like this plays right into like the thought of like the rise of misogyny uh and it's kind of the lack of knowledge about reproductive health, about other bodies is detrimental. And we are seeing that play out in our current society. Men not knowing uh, other bodies, not caring to be taught or ever being given any information. Um, we're seeing it play out like that. There it's a, it's been a long problem too. Yeah. And it's like, you see this like versions of the same problem, in many different aspects of life, you know, like whether it's reproductive things versus, or, you know, this fentanyl candy, moral panic, uh, the way people panic about crime rates in, you know, not understanding like how to read statistics or be able to recognize when statistics have been manipulated to elicit mm-hmm. a specific response out of them. You know, I just think it it leads to people making like nonsensical decisions and putting all their outrage and focus on something that is not a real problem. Like Mm -hmm. I like at the end, like they mentioned how, you know, one of the big problems with Halloween is a lot of kids get hit by cars, Mm -hmm. you know, but what, where is the outrage for that? Like, where is the will to do something? Why aren't these same politicians and lawmakers doing something when it comes to that it's like because you can't attach some weird morality Mm. boogeyman thing to that yeah you can't campaign you can't campaign off that you can't get donors from that that's not a compelling enough reason to get money but if you Um, can get people hyped up about crime crime mm -hmm. crime about something that's not even happening passing laws and stuff about Mm -hmm. something that is not occurring then you get like, to pat yourself on the back for fixing a problem that you invented out of thin air. Yeah, and I think what we're kind of getting, like, if you tease these threads enough, it's all from, like, the same area, right? Like, we're teasing all these thoughts of, like, fentanyl and stuff. Like, they are all tied together. Um, and it's not just one incident. Um, 
this again transphobia is up because it's easier to campaign on and scare people with it's easy to make fentanyl the boogeyman because the illegals are bringing it in there is an other that can be put on that scary thing um and it gets them votes it gets them power it gets them money yeah so this halloween please you know watch out for the kids like be careful if you're out driving they might be in outfits or things that aren't super bright or easy to see in the dark so please drive safely um and you know be nice to the children like i saw someone on twitter they were reminding folks to you know don't be don't be like a grinch if you see a teenager or something that's trick or treating you know it's it's hard being an adult so let them be kids as long as they can, you know, don't be stingy. Give them the good stuff. And some of these kids haven't had this holiday for a couple of years. So yeah. this one might be a little more special for some because it's been it's been a couple of, couple of years. Yeah, so, you know, I'll, I hope that everyone who is trick-or-treating tonight or tomorrow have a good time. And um, we are going to move on to our next musical break. This song is Dracula's Wedding by Outkast and Khalees. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. You're all I've ever wanted, but I'm terrified of you. Seek my castle may be haunted, but I'm terrified of you. I've cast my spell on millions, but I'm terrified of you. Baby, I do this from the ceiling, but I'm terrified of you. I wait my whole life to fight the right one. Then you come along and that freaks me out So I'm frightened Ooh, Dracula's I never ran from no one But I'm terrified of you See, my heartbeat is a slow one But I'm terrified of you I've been around for ages But I'm terrified of you Got my thing across the stage But yet I'm terrified of you I wait my whole life To fight the right one then you come along and that freaks me out So I'm frightened Dracula's wedding uh, You know I'm terrified uh, You know I'm terrified You know I'm Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And next up, we have Matthew with a spooky world story or something that is kind of global, sort of. 
we can say it's an out of this world spooky-ish story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I came across this on Instagram today. Uh, it was a shared post by NASA and NASA Web. Um, I don't know if you have any program notes that we could link to it, but I can send you the post, Jasmine. Um, but I'll read it. It's this beautiful image um, coming from the new telescope, but this is the post. You can't escape its clutches with a little frightened emoji face. Just in time for Halloween, the pillars of creation reach back out like a ghostly hand. Uh, parenthetical, some chilling perspective. These quote-unquote fingers are roughly five light years long. The eerie landscape is captured this time by the James Webb Space Telescope's mid-infrared instrument, the MIRI. The mid-infrared light specializes in detailing where dust and gas is. Here, the densest areas of dust are the darkest shades of gray, while the red region toward the top is where the dust is diffuse and cooler. Don't be scared. The baby stars seen in NASA Webb's near-infrared view didn't disappear. They're just not easy to detect in mid-infrared. Instead, Miri sees, and this is the M-I-R-I, sees young stars with dusty cloaks, the crimson orbs at the pillar's fringes, as well as scattered aging blue stars. Hauntingly beautiful in any light, we can't help but return to the pillars of creation over and over. And each time we deepen our understanding of this region, this with this new Miri image, astronomers now have high-resolution data in mid-infrared light than ever before. Uh, and you can learn more at their website. Um, and I'm going to do a quick image description. Three prominent pillars of semi-opaque gas and dust, each in spectral shades of gray-blue, start at the bottom left and reach toward the top right. From left to right, each pillar is consecutively smaller. Together, they appear like a ghostly hand. Towards the top of the leftmost pillar, there is one prominent red star with tiny spikes at its tip. Lower on this pillar, there are several darker areas of dust that jut out like protrusions, some also with stars that appear as small red dots. The other two pillars are below and to the right of the first pillar. The background of this scene takes on glowing shades of orange-red mixed with black, with the strongest bright orange hues dipping into a V, V as in Victor, shape at the top center of the image. Scattered throughout the image are a few dozen tiny bright white and blue stars. Larger stars appear like red orbs and are embedded in the pillars. Um, and I just think it's this beautiful image, this ghostly spectral hand kind of reaching out into the eons of space. Uh, it's a beautiful image. Um, and also, space is terrifying to me. <laughs> As a sci-fi sort of reader, watcher, one of the scariest things is the deep, dark spaces of space. Like, terrifying. Yeah, I never understood for the life of me people that wanted to go up out there. No. <laughs> no, thank you. No, I'm not the type of person to be like, let's go, like, terraform Mars. I'm like, I'm going to play the game terraforming Mars. I'm going to stay my happy little ass on this planet because it's struggling right now, but I'm not made to start a whole new civilization on another planet. It's not me. Yeah, I mean, we weren't meant to, in my, in my opinion. I mean, I know not everyone agrees, but I do think space is interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really, you know, we talked a little bit about scientific literacy or scientific mm -hmm. illiteracy. And, I, you know, I'm ashamed to admit, like, I'm not the strongest when it comes to science. Mm. Um, like being able to interpret things or just like the level of like my not my knowledge base isn't what I would like it to be. But, you know, there's always tomorrow. It's always something you can improve on. 
But yeah, this image is really, it does look almost like you, I think you see almost like faces coming out. Yeah, it's like they are like kind of shooting out as like these kind of ghostly figures, like very like apocalyptic horsemen kind of riding through space. Yeah. It, it uh, is, it's cool, but I don't know. Yeah. I would not want to see that up close. Stay up there. <laughs> see, and the nice thing with the new telescope is we don't have to be up close. We have technology. It's bring it to us, so we don't have to get nearly as close. Right. Yeah. And I, I had like it is an image that I've seen before, but I didn't know that mm. that's what these things were called. So if mm-hmm. you're not familiar, I just this is just from Wikipedia. So pillars of creation is a photograph taken by the Hubble Space Telescope of elephant trunks of interstellar gas and dust in the Eagle Nebula in the Serpens constellation, some 6,500 to 7,000 light years from Earth. They are named so because the gas and dust are in the process of creating new stars while also being eroded by the light from nearby stars that have recently formed. So I did not know that, that like they're in the middle yeah. of like, I guess they're in a constant state of making new stars and also like. It just like breaks my brain. Um, yeah. I like, I love it and I think it's fascinating and I will keep following and watching these things. But I think the first thing that happened when we got the first images back from this telescope was like existential crisis of holy crap we will never know everything that's out there like we haven't even explored the full extent of the ocean on this planet oh that's another place thank you the depth of the ocean absolutely not it might as well be space well who is it cameron the director who like keeps going down to explore i'm like no 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 i'm good like sometimes the dark waters just need to be dark waters leave them be we don't need to find out what's down there yeah, I mean, I've seen enough of the images of the animals and the fish that live down there. It's like, oh. There's like giant squid, giant octopus, pie. Like, leave them alone. They're good. They're good. But, you know, I do have a lot of respect for people that really do dedicate their lives to further understanding, like, space, the ocean, like, our ecosystem, all of that. Like, it's definitely important work. I don't want to minimize it. It's just, it is something that, you know, Speaking of Halloween, it freaks me out. It scares yeah. me. And these yes. images do look like space ghosts or something. Yes. Like they're woo, like I, I can almost hear like this. As it's very it's very Doctor Who to me. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm absolutely sure they've used this on Star Trek. Uh, many of the episodes, uh, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. And but I also like that it's like this kind of horror element, but it's this kind of create area of like creation um it's cool yeah so you mentioned doctor who like what is i've never seen doctor who so like do they show people in space like (sighs) oh fine i'll just be a nerd um doctor who is a time lord who is um an alien race that waged a war against their arch enemies called the daleks um there's a whole temporal aspect to this war, um, but the doctor, uh, D-O-C-T-O-R, uh, he is one of the only Time Lords who was able to escape, and he is then kind of journeying through space and time in his TARDIS, which is an acronym 
um, and his various companions to solve different um, crises uh, around the world. It could be on Earth, often on Earth, because his companions tend to be uh, female humans. Um, yeah, and it's a little adventure show. Um, I, it's more fantasy, probably, <laughs> but it's very fun. Um, okay. And the doctor regenerates, one will die. Um, and that's why the longevity of it has kind of worked out, because they're able to kind of play this game where once one of the actors is kind of like getting to the end of the storyline, they regenerate and it becomes a new doctor uh, with a new face. Oh my goodness. So that, that does kind of fit into this um, with the pillars of creation since it's yeah. like there's a new star coming, but then there's the recently formed stars that kind of, you know, rolled the gas. They play, I think, like a lot of these concepts of like black holes and like being able to like harness these like galactic powers and sort of things uh but yeah it's these kind of larger than life theories and kind of stories that are very fun uh but very fitting of this like maybe they would fly to go he would take his companion to go see these up close and be like here it is okay so in in that spirit since um it is spooky season and we're coming up on the end of october halloween is tomorrow the 31st And there was a story that you wanted to share, like one of your favorite spooky stories. Growing up as a means of being Mexican-American from the Southwest in New Mexico, the horror story that was most told, and I've not actually ventured to watch the movie version of this, um, La Llorona, uh, it's the concept of a woman, and I believe she drowns her kids at the request of a man, I think. Of course, it's a man. Why wouldn't it be a man? Always ruining things. Um, but she murders her kids, realizes that he actually doesn't love her, um, and is like kind of forsaken, and is then kind of cursed to travel the riverbanks, um, looking for her kids. And the horror part of it was like, if you are not a good kid uh, and you're acting bad, La Llorona would come get you. And you could hear her wailing in the far distance. Probably was wind, but absolutely effective and terrifying and never wanted to meet her and never did. <laughs> yeah. But I always remember it. I feel like that's a function of a lot of those like folk tales and mm-hmm. stuff like around the world. It's like, it's a way to get your child to not trust strangers or to behave, you know, or else the such and such monster is going to get you or, you know, like I think of like the Grimm's fairy tales that were very dark. Like a lot of them did seem to be like, you know, if you don't follow these very strict rules, like this bad thing will happen to you. So you have to enforce it with fear. It immediately reminds, have you ever watched the village? No. Okay, so it's very much kind of, I don't want to spoil it, but, uh, so you should watch it, but one of Shyamalan's uh, better films, um, but kind of it evokes that thought of like using this to kind of control a society or people um, because there's a scariness to it. Um, but definitely, yeah, I'm sure it's like throughout the ages, you see, you can hear these stories um, in different cultures and civilizations. Okay. Well, me, I didn't like I didn't grow up celebrating Halloween, so I'm I'm a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to just getting into like the season or dressing up mm-hmm. or doing anything with candy or whatever. 
So I don't really have something that's the same as far as like, oh, my parents told me this or that, like folk, scary folk tale. But when I was in, was I in middle school? I think I was in high school. We did read the novel Beloved, the Toni Morrison novel. Mm-hmm. That is a ghost story, basically. It was written in 1987. Uh, it's set after the Civil War, and it's about a family of people who used to be slaves, and their house is haunted um, by like what they think is an evil spirit. And um, the story is based on the life of a woman named Margaret Garner, who was a slave, but she ran away to Ohio. And because of the Fugitive Slave Act, like she was subject to being like recaptured and sent back into slavery. So when the marshals came to get her, like they broke in and they saw that she um, had killed, like she was trying to kill her children and she had already killed one of her children because she didn't want um, to see her children go back to being slaves there was someone who spoke with Margaret Garner after she had been uh, recaptured and in asking her about, you know, how she felt or like why she did what she did to her children. um, The person said, I inquired if she was not excited almost to madness when she committed the act. No, she replied, I was as cool as I am now and would much rather kill them at once and thus end their sufferings than have them taken back to slavery and be murdered by piecemeal. And, you know, I think that she has such a powerful story. And, you know, if you haven't read Beloved, I would recommend it. It's definitely a book that, you know, all the baddies are trying to ban. Mm -hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's a very powerful um, ghost story and story of like resilience and trying to, you know, make a new life for yourself after going through like really unspeakable like tragedies and like what it like the afterlife of those traumas and what it is mm-hmm. to get through them and what it takes to get through them. Oh, yeah, I'll add it to my list. I didn't know that that's what it was about. But Morrison is always a good choice to read. Yeah, I mean, she really, she knew what she was doing with those mm-hmm. words of hers, so. Yeah, master of craft. The thing I can think of in that same vein was just any, like, some butler, Octavia Butler. Um, very prophetic, and, like, if you want to read horror, like, Parable of the Sower was beyond prophetic and just very much speaks to where we are today. Um, and if you want a different take on what I understand as, like, kind of horror thriller, Butler absolutely also delivers a very poignant message um, in that novel. Um, one weird, quick story that kind of fits in with this theme. On Thursday, I got to see an exhibit, um, and it was around ancient or just um, some archaeological finds of funerary items and like treasures and buried treasures specifically. Um, and it was very fitting, like this idea of like death, but um, and death and like buried treasure and culture. Um, but one thing that really stood out was the person giving the tour. She said, what we learn a lot, what archaeologists tend to learn a lot from civilizations and cultures is how they treated their dead. It speaks a lot to how the living were also treated and who was given those rights um, and so on and so forth. Um, so, and within horror, there is like a telling of society and how we, what we valued and maybe didn't value as much. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So I hope that you, everybody listening, has a great happy Halloween. Get some good candy. Eat it all up. I'm about to eat half of this jack-o'-lantern of candy that I got. I mean, I always say it's for the kids. <laughs> I end up eating like three quarters of it. So It's deserved, Jasmine. It's well-deserved. Eat all yeah, of it. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> Uh, So thank you again for listening. This has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Keep listening for more um, listener-supported community-based radio on the station. And we're going to sign off with a classic. This is Time Warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Bye, everybody. Happy Halloween. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Jump to the left. And then step to the right. With your hands on your hips. You're bringing me in time. Baby, it's the velvet glass. It really doesn't insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do the time on the air. Let's do the time on the air. It's a dream. You can't see me No, not at all In another dimension With voyeuristic intention Well secluded I see all With a bit of a mind flip You're into the time slip And nothing Can ever be the same You're spaced out on sensation Like you're under 